Welcome to the Continuing Educator. We've got, uh, at least for us here in real time, it's St. Patty's Day. Yeah, and it might not be St. Patty's Day for you, but we're feeling lucky. And let's talk about the science of reading with three fantastic guests today. I want to kick off by a quote um, from Dr. Cindy Jabon, who's a literacy specialist. And um, in her 2022 blog post, she said, The science of reading is, quote, the converging evidence of what matters and what works in literacy instruction, organized around models that describe how and why. And if you're like me and all that just sounded like gobbledygook, basically what she's saying is that when we have replicable insights from repeated studies and they're all showing these similar results, we as educators should pay attention and use this evidence to inform our instruction. She goes on to talk about, you know, as more educators engage with this model, we begin to expand our focus on decoding, particularly through systematic and explicit phonics. And One of our guests today actually has suggested as we quote unquote level up on our engagement with the science of reading, three themes deserve attention. That's supporting language comprehension, using effective instructional groupings, and cultivating a culture to sustain our work. The author of that piece, Luke Bell, is with us today, along with Dr. Tiffany Peltier and Dr. Lisa LaBeouf, all reading and early literacy experts at NWEA. While we feel they need no introduction, I'll let Kaylee bring our listening audience up to speed. Yeah, and as I do this, uh, Luke, Lisa, and Tiffany, as I introduce you, um, I would love to read uh, your bio, and then I would love to hear from you on what's on your mind about the, the science and success of teaching literacy in the classroom right now. Um, so just if you'll give us a little a little tidbit. Um, Luke Bell is a senior content designer in literacy with NWEA. Prior to joining us, really recently, welcome Luke, in 2022, he was a curriculum coordinator and English teacher. He's passionate about solving the problems facing young readers and the people who teach them. Yes, and joins us from Knoxville, Tennessee. What's up, fellow Southerner? Welcome to the show, Luke. What's on your mind about literacy? Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, as y'all were talking about earlier, for me, it's really about creating a culture to sustain the work. Uh, we have a, a large amount of uh, movement beyond, behind the science of reading, and I want to be able to sustain that past the current news or adoption cycle. And so for me, it's all about how do we capitalize on this moment and really take it to the house for change. Mm. Awesome. Tiffany. You're a lead learning and delivery specialist for literacy at NWEA. You bring 12 years of experience, over 12 years, in the education field, um, whether it's instructional coach to elementary teachers, teaching undergraduate pre-service teachers within special education, learning, sciences, and literacy coursework. And you're joining us from Norman, Oklahoma. Thanks for being with us today, Tiffany. A fellow Okie. I love it. (laughs) It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. What's on your mind with literacy, Tiffany? Yeah, so I know when I was a teacher, I didn't have much time to do the research and look up strategies on my own. I had what I had in my classroom, whether it be curricular resources. So as a lead learning and delivery specialist for NWEA, what I really love to do is translate the research into these practical tidbits, routines, and procedures for teachers to use in their classroom tomorrow. Welcome, Lisa. You're new to NWEA. You're joining us this month as a content designer in literacy. 
Lisa has more than 15 years of education experience as a classroom teacher and a literacy coach, as well as a few years at the state agency level as the supervisor of literacy professional development for the Louisiana Department of Education. That's a lot of capital letters, and that is a big deal. <laughs> well, yeah, and Louisiana Department of Education has uh, you know, been a, a real leader in the nation in terms of how they think about this. So excited to have you here, Lisa. And you're joining us from the New Orleans metro area. Welcome to the podcast. What's on your mind with literacy? Yeah, thank y'all for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, I would say that for me, I've also had the privilege to work with teacher prep programs and actually teach future teachers. And they're excited. They are eager to learn about this, um, about the science of reading, about literacy. They're ready. um, And I'm just excited. And I hope they continue to have that engagement and excitement around literacy to carry over into their classrooms. That's wonderful. Well, let's get started with the first question. And Lisa, if you're okay with it, we'll start with you first. What makes the science of reading different than other instructional frameworks? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to point out that it's not a framework. It is um, a science. It's a, it's a body of research. And it's also a movement. And the movement isn't always aligned to the science of reading. So it's really important that we stay connected to that body of research um, and I think overall, the science of reading just really provides clear components and like brain processes that lead to reading and language acquisition. And it kind of takes out the guesswork. It tells us how children learn to read and it tells us the type of instruction that they need to do that successfully. Can we pretend that we're kicking off a TED Talk and you got to like roll up in here with your big busting hook and like get everyone's attention? Tiffany, I'm going to throw this to you. Take your time if you need. Um, what, what would you kick off your TED Talk with as a huge myth about literacy instruction? Yeah, one myth about literacy instruction that I see permeating curricula in schools is that students need to learn a whole bunch of sight words, right? These high frequency words, and then read predictable texts. And they'll automatically learn how to read going through these levels. Uh, Instead, we know from cognitive science and intervention and literacy that students learn to read by sounding out words. So first, instead of learning all of these sight words, they need to actually be sounding out words. And those high frequency words need to wait until later. So Make sure they know that building block of reading is sounding out words sound by sound. If they can do that within three seconds or less, sound out a CBC word, then start teaching them those words that have irregular parts. Anybody else want to take a shot at the big myth or one of the myths? Lots of myths. (laughs) Yeah, if I were to take a a stab at that, I would say um, so often in the science of reading conversation, we have a strong focus on phonics and that phonics is enough. And phonics gets the attention because it sells articles and hits. But phonics is one part of a larger picture. And so phonics is, is one component of getting students towards word recognition, which is one half of how students attain reading comprehension. So phonics alone is not enough. Phonics is, we don't want that to be a patch. And so if I were to say anything about a myth in the science of reading conversation, it would be uh, reading comprehension takes word recognition and language comprehension, both. Ooh, I got another one. Go. So another myth that we see in this science of reading movement is that knowledge doesn't matter. Content areas can be pushed to the end of the day. We need to up literacy instruction to up literacy scores. But really, pushing science and social studies to the end of the day is taking away that opportunity for students to learn content knowledge that is going to help them understand what they read in the future. 
I love that. I love that. Let me let me stick with that for a second because I'm coming uh, at this as Kaylee is as well as a couple of math teachers. And one thing we math teachers hear a lot is the literacy wars, right? And and all of these things. So we're talking a lot about science of reading these days. Uh, um, is it all or nothing? Can the science of reading coexist with other methods of literacy instruction? Is it supportive? What what do you, where are you at with that, Luke? Let's go to you. Yeah, I would say that the science of reading, if we think about it as the body of research, it tells us what is effective, it also tells us what is not effective, and it also tells us what's left to be explored. Um, There are many unknowns, and so when we think about practices in the classroom, we do have evidence-based practices that uh, come from the science of reading. We also have some promising practices that say, hey, we may not have all the evidence right now, but we know this is trending in the right direction. So the science of reading is an emerging thing. It it continues to grow. And so that's why we have this challenge of translating the essential research, but also that emerging evidence that's coming out uh, each day in the science of reading. So Lisa, I want to bring you into this conversation as you're working with a lot of teachers and you're, you know, teaching teachers how to teach. Uh, Can you help build for us what teachers should be taking from the science of reading in a more practical ways, just applying it to their classroom? What's a successful uh, science-based literacy classroom going to look like? Yeah, I think this actually connects back to the myths question in that another common myth is that phonics is boring. Our teaching these types of strategies is boring because it's very systematic and explicit, but it doesn't have to be. It can be fun. It can be engaging. And I think that is the key is to take the materials and curricular resources that teachers have and look for ways to make those engaging and fun. There's tons of activities that can be done um, with phonics and phonological awareness and even bringing in comprehension and writing. There's so many ways you can make those lessons engaging. So I think if you you walk into a classroom Um, who is implementing the science of reading, you want to see those engagement opportunities because that's really where student learning happens. And you want to see students taking ownership of their learning and seeing the value in the skills that they're being taught. Can you play like a literacy or like a phonics game with us really quick and so we can just see what that looks like? We can do our sounds routine, Luke. Tiffany, go ahead. Uh, You may have to give us us some... uh, uh, a starter there so we have to take a pause so you can get everybody up to speed on the conversation but I think that would be fine go for it yeah sure so one strategy that I would use in my classroom is all the students are on the carpet with their whiteboards and we can play a sounds game with them so if we're for example doing short vowels like uh you uh I would say say jump 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 good stretch jump like a rubber band jump jump Jump. Stretch it back. (laughs) There you go. Chop it up on your arm. And then they would dash it on their board and spell it out. So it's really asking students to separate and segment those sounds. Pay attention to each one because a lot of times it's hard to distinguish between, for example, the final nasal before a consonant, like the final M and P and jump, and then spell it on their board. So it's a really systematic, explicit way to do it, but it gets them moving. They get to make tally marks on their board if they get it all matching mine, and they have fun with it. It's like music meets writing meets kinesthetics (laughs) meets dancing meets, I mean, yeah, I'm not bored. Nope. (laughs) That's awesome. And that's also a great tip for a teaching game to do. Um, Anyone else want to respond to to Lisa's... um, beginning the conversation about what it could look like in the classroom. Yeah, I would just want to comment on what she said around this idea that it can be fun and it can be engaging and just say that 
in the uh, reading wars, as Jacob was talking about, um, there's this idea that uh, one approach to early literacy has a monopoly on joy, and that's just not true. Um, no one approach to early literacy instruction has a monopoly on joy, and the truth is um, when we learn to read, we can learn to love reading. Uh, we, we can't learn to love reading unless we can actually participate and be a reader. So to do that, we have to have those explicit systematic experiences um, so we can learn the code and learn how to decode. Luke, thank you. As we mentioned earlier, you wrote a piece with Cindy Jabon about six ways to level up the science of reading. Uh, we're going to link it in the show notes for our listeners. But you said there were three themes that deserve our attention. One, supporting language comprehension. Two, using effective instructional groupings. And three, cultivating a culture to sustain our work. Can you talk more about these areas and what they mean for teachers in the classroom? Absolutely. Thank you. I, I want to come back to what Cindy says about the science of reading. It's what works and what matters. Right? We, we understand this through the models. And so one of the most uh, essential models that we use in our work is the simple view of reading, where reading comprehension is the product of word recognition and language comprehension. We've talked so much about word recognition that sometimes language comprehension gets left out. And so some of the reflection questions we ask teachers, am I applying the science of language comprehension too? Am I specifically supporting multilingual learners, including bringing in that research? Um, and, and really talk about what that means in action. When we think about grouping, some questions that we are asking, am I using both scaffolding and small group differentiation? Am I dialing up the intensity for students uh, who need that extra work and maybe they're not um, growing at the same rate as others? And then for me, really where I spend a lot of time thinking in my work today is, are we building effective peer support? And, and are we really building effective leadership? Because we can't afford for the science of reading movement to fail. We have to know that the evidence matters. And to do this alone as a teacher is too much of a load to bear. So we have to mm -hmm. build that support in a community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like uh, as, a, as lower school teachers are burdened with all of these different tasks in their day, how do we make sure that they have what they need? And you said a word that got this math teacher's attention. You said product. Um, that the science of reading, that uh, reading comprehension is the product of two factors being multiplied together, and that's word recognition and language comprehension. And word recognition, I, I think, is kind of that like phonics and, and starting to being able to sound out things and recognize words and, and being able to put them together. Language comprehension is more about like the way we speak and syntax and, and um and how, how words should be arranged. You know, we put red before ball, things like that. And then as we build both of those strengths, it equals the final thing that we're really after, which is being able to read and understand and comprehend a, a text. But what I'm hearing also is that even if you're, even if um, maybe, you know, one student's ready for, for C-A-T, you know, cat, it doesn't necessarily mean that they only need to be reading like the cat ran after the ball in their language comprehension stuff. We need to really be beefing that up. Um, what other strategies are you recommending for uh, teachers in the classroom either to adopt if they don't have it or to let it go, even if it's been a part of their classroom for a really long time? Yeah, I think that goes directly into our instructional grouping focus and language comprehension focus. It's an equity issue that some students have access to complex text and others do not. All students deserve access to own grade level complex text. Um, and how we support them with that is through scaffolding. We recognize that every child's not going to be ready to tackle that grade level complex text at the same time. And so on the their own. 
Absolutely. Maybe with you reading it, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What are the ways that we support that? That's something that, that we spend a lot of time thinking about in our work. What's the scaffold look like for different students at different levels? Yeah, and I'll add, too, one way that I did this in my classroom when I was teaching first grade was whatever we were learning in science or whatever we were learning about in social studies, I would bring texts, nonfiction or fiction, about those topics into the ELA block. So instead of reading these disparate texts that came with whatever program or curricula I had at the time, we were systematically building knowledge through the reading comprehension strategies that students were learning around these complex topics so that it built their vocabulary because we know from cognitive science, the more you know about something, the stickier those new concepts and vocabulary and terms are going to be. So we're really building that schema or that web of knowledge for students to draw from in the future and in their writing too. I was going to just piggyback off of what Tiffany said at that end, the end of her comment about writing, because writing is really the application of the science of reading knowledge and skills. And so often I see um, when I was a coach, I would go in classrooms and I would see writing lessons that were like, tell me about your favorite animal. And But they just read a rich text in the ELA block. So why not make those connections? Um, you, the skills don't have to be taught in silos. They can be connected and support each other. And that's going to deepen that knowledge and really help that orthographic mapping process help in the work better in the brain as well. You'll get like much richer writing products when you start to combine those things as well, writing, the ELA block, science, social studies, because they actually have knowledge and they can write complex text, not just read or listen to complex text. This sounds like tip number two. First, play Tiffany's game. Second, uh, <laughs> spread the wealth, like create more of like a, think of more of your, your day as like almost like a summer camp. Like today's theme is whatever we're doing in science, we're going to write about it. We're going to read about it. We're going to like borrow yeah. from your, from your text. Don't, don't see it as like 955 time to switch to reading. We never talk about the water mm -hmm. cycle again. <laughs> exactly. And stick with those topics, you know, don't just go today we're worms and tomorrow is space, right? Like stick with them so students can actually build that schema, build that knowledge and become experts in topics. I want to stick with this idea of uh, uh, tips and advice. Uh, Luke, we'll go to you next. What, what would be one piece of advice you'd give to new educators teaching reading for the first time? Yeah, I think there's so many things that you can investigate. Year one, I would bring it down to two pieces. One, deeply investigate and interrogate your materials. Are your materials aligned to the science of reading? Are they, do they really emphasize what works and what matters? So investigate and interrogate those materials. And the best way to do that is by pairing up with a mentor. Whether you're assigned a mentor, whether you look for a mentor, find those mentors who can help you navigate all of those year one questions and really investigate your materials to see what works and what matters. And just a quick question, uh, how will I know if my materials are aligned to the science of reading? The great news is um, that you use the same models that work for instructional practice, such as the simple view of reading or the cognitive foundations framework. You can see, are we developing the building block skills that get us to word recognition and language comprehension? And so the, an, a misconception here is that um, the science of reading is something that can be bought as a product. The science of reading is something that can be implemented. It's, it's not a product or a tool, right? It's this whole encompassing body of research. So you'll use those same models to help you understand what works and what matters. So I should be looking at my instructional materials and make sure that yeah, my kids aren't supposed to just start recognizing sight words by osmosis. We need to have a, a, 
an, a systematic implementation of phonics to increase that word rec recognition component. We need to have rich texts that are going to help them with that language comprehension component. Um, and it doesn't matter if they are only sounding out C-A-T. They are capable of comprehending and, and speaking in far more advanced sentences. So that's that language comprehension component. And all of that is leading towards reading comprehension. And that is that si simple view of reading, that formula. It is a formula because we're working with science here. Absolutely. Tiffany, <laughs> go, keep going, Luke. Yeah, I was just going to say you're, you're exactly right, right? Starting with that scope and sequence to make sure all of those individual discrete skills are taught in a systematic way. You're, you're exactly right. Fantastic. Tiffany? Yeah, I was just going to add, um, as a new teacher, you can't do it all, right? You have to learn the curriculum and resources that you have to work with and what's available, and you can start making those small shifts when you notice things that aren't in line. Um, one of the things, and y'all might be able to link this in the show notes, is we've created an early word recognition lesson plan template. It's a tool that teachers can use to basically, if they have this curriculum that's huge, you know, you have to go through 20, 40 pages a week of what do I actually teach and what do I not teach. Our template will say, hey, you can pull these words and these activities and this will take 20 minutes a day. And so that could be really helpful for the listeners too. Yeah, definitely. So look for that in the show notes, uh, listeners. That is a great resource. Thanks for naming it, Tiffany. Lisa, let's go to you. Yeah, I was just going to say um, for new teachers coming into the profession, I would say modeling is so important. And that is something that is often um, not implemented so strongly. But I think that is really the key to solidifying the learning experience. Um, model the behaviors and actions you want to see from your students or even your children. I think of even, you know, in early literacy as a mother myself with children, I have one in elementary, middle and high school and I read with them or I read near them or they see me writing. We talk about words in the environment and all of those things are so important. And that's things that teachers and um, families can do as well. And in the teacher prep programs that I've um, taught, we do modeling in there. We play the phonics games. We break apart syllables. They go into breakout rooms and do it themselves. And they love that part. That's their favorite part of the entire lesson. And they come back and they're furiously writing on their notebook saying, I can't wait to go into my classroom tomorrow and try this because a lot of them are paraprofessionals that already work in school systems, which is even better. So they're able to immediately apply that knowledge and that modeling process can be fun. I think of even um, when I was a teacher in the classroom, I'm a very introverted person, but the classroom was my stage. When I walked in the classroom, we had fun. My students, it was just me and them and we could, you know, cut up and learn together and have fun together. It's so joyful to be a student, isn't it? And like, especially we as teachers, we want to be a student again. It's so joyful. And I want to ask, a, as one of our last questions, um, what is the last or your favorite most fantastic kids book you've read? Yeah, for me, I always come back to a, a picture book um, that I, I read actually with my high school students. Um, and it's it's called After the Fall, How Humpty Dumpty Got Back Up Again. So it's this it picks up the story of Humpty Dumpty and tells us, you know, how did Humpty Dumpty feel after the fall? How did he learn to be whole again? And I think that's a really powerful story um, for children and adults of any age. How do we recover from those moments um, of challenge? That's so I have a favorite children's book. It's my all-time favorite, and it's just a silly book, but it's called The Monster at the End of This Book by lovely, cud or how do they say it, cuddly, lovable Grover from Sesame Street. But I love that book because it's full of expression 
And it has even a lot of text features. I used to read it to my, my second and my fifth graders because there's so many text features in it with the size of the font or the different um, punctuation marks. There's lots of humor and internal dialogue. There's just a lot of opportunities in such a simple book for teachable moments. And um, it's just a really fun read. So one of the latest ones I read that I really liked is called The Case of the Missing Cake not an alphabet book and it's about this bear who goes through you know an alphabet book of like and on the c page the cake is missing and they're like he's like who took the cake right so it's it's a really fun book my kids love it and it becomes more obvious throughout the book that the bear was the one who ate the cake but spoiler alert Spoiler alert. <laughs> well, spoiler alert for you all. Uh, this episode takes the cake. It was what a what a great joy to, to speak with each of you. Thank you again to our guests, Luke, Tiffany, and Lisa for joining us. Uh, we're so glad to have this opportunity to talk with you about such an important topic for educators. Jacob, what a treat to get to connect with these in-house experts on this hot topic, on this important topic. Uh, if you like what you heard today, please don't forget to share the link with a colleague or a teacher rate review and subscribe wherever you found this episode today and that's all from us here in portland oregon i think i'm going to take a, a trip over to powell's books and maybe buy a kid's book oh, that's a great idea well <laughs> thanks for tuning in uh, to us all season on the continuing educator we'll be back soon with another episode of learning big questions fresh strategies and a few laughs along the way i'm jacob i'm kaylee thanks for listening